and uh, we might take a little time for some questions, if you have any, so uh, keep those in mind. And uh, one of the things that a lot of people get confused about is they confuse Southern Africa with South Africa. Southern Africa is the whole Southern region, made up of about eight countries there. The southernmost country, that sort of peach-colored area, is the country of South Africa. And so we are near the city of Durban. If I can get the pointer, um, there we go. Okay, it's not going to, there. On the, on the screen, to my left, your right, we're over along that little bump along the coast there, okay? That's where we are near the city of Durban. We're in what's called the Durban metropolitan area. And uh, we live in a small town about half an hour from the Indian Ocean. And uh, so this is the area we're ministering in. The first church we started, we turned over uh, at our last furlough, and uh, our, the Zulu pastor, he got saved in our church and uh, trained him. He went through various uh, discipleship and Bible, Bible school courses, and he's now pastoring the church, and he stayed faithful. We're thankful for that. Well, one of the concerns always is when you put a lot of years and time into a church, and you turn it over, and then sometimes, you know, the guy goes, you know, kind of wacky or something, and so we're thankful. He's really stayed faithful. We appreciate uh, his ministry. The area we're out doing outreach in now is called Fredville. I do not know who Fred was, but anyway, it's called Fredville. And uh, this is just a small area. It's quite a large area. It's at least 10 times the size of what you can see here. i just give you an idea of this area. We do a lot of outreach in this area. And one day I was out uh, visiting, and uh, there was a guy that he was a builder. He was building someone's house. And this guy on the left, his name is Peace. And uh, stopped and talked to him, and he was interested in the gospel. But because he was working, he only had about 10 minutes. And he gave me his phone number, but then he lost his phone and changed his number. And I lost contact with him. And uh, so I was praying, Lord, please, this guy was so interested. Please give me an opportunity to meet him again. And I'd visit in the area, just couldn't find the guy. So anyway, a few weeks later, the guy in the middle, these are his two nephews on the right. And uh, the nephew in the middle showed up at our Friday Bible study. And uh, at the end, he told me his name, and I, I thought, I just went home, and I started thinking. His, his, his surname or family name is Sibisi. But that's the same name as that other guy. I wonder if he knows him. So I said, Lord, bring that chap back again next week. You know, sure enough, he came back the next week. And so I said to him, do you know Peace? He said, yes, he's my uncle, and we live in the same house. I said, well, good. So I got a hold of him, made an appointment, sat down explained the gospel, and the two, uh, Peace and his nephew in the middle, both prayed to receive, receive Christ as Savior. Peace was a Rastafarian, had dreadlocks, the whole business when I first met him. And uh, so anyway, about a week later, he cut his dreadlocks, and I, I hadn't said anything to him. I just said to him, uh, tell me, why'd you, I know she cut your hair, why'd you? Oh, he says, that doesn't go along with being a Christian, you know, because he knew the Rastafarian way was very different. So just wonderful to see how, how the Lord's working in their lives. The nephew on the far right, uh, the one in the middle, his name is, by translation, is uh, Bonkos, thank the Lord. And his nephew on the right, his name is uh, Temkos, it means trust the Lord. So he still hasn't trusted the Lord, the one on the far right. We're praying he will, and uh, it's good to see the Lord work. Now, that is, that is their house behind them there. And although he's a builder, he builds everybody else's house, just never builds his own, you know? You know the story, a plumber fixes everybody else's house, doesn't fix his own plumbing, okay? That's how it goes. Every year on Good Friday, we set up a tent, and on Good Friday is the largest attended service of the year among the Zulu people. If someone would go to church only once in the whole year, it would be on Good Friday. So we put up a tent and have a service, and last year, six boys prayed to receive Christ as their Savior. 
We have a Saturday discipleship for them. Most of these boys come from broken homes. Probably about 90% of the Zulu children do. It's their culture. It's very, it's very broken up. And uh, so we have a discipleship for them to help train them up. And some others come as well in addition to these. Uh, some other folks got saved as well on that day. So we're thankful for this outreach. This is one of our church services a few weeks before we left. It's a small group, but a group where God's doing the work. And we're thankful for that. Young man that helps us, his name is Excellent. I led him to the Lord when he was 10 years old. Uh, he just visited our church. And uh, through the years, I had contact with him on and off. And then he ended up going to the Bible uh, Institute where I teach. And uh, he graduated, I think, about two years ago. So he's, he's now helping us in the ministry. And this is him and his wife with Karen and I. And so he's filling in for uh, pastoring the church and doing the work of the ministry while we're going. So when we get back, we'll see how the Lord's leading him about his future ministry and what the Lord wants him to do. At the end of last year, we had a baptism. We baptized 10 people. And one of the interesting things that happened, you can see this is an outside pool. And while we were baptizing, the African killer bees came along. And they're a type of honeybee. And I'd say there were about 200 or 300 bees in the area. And they're very aggressive. They attack. And you swat at them. They don't just go away. At one point, I I got stung. I dove under the water. And uh, people are running around the pool, waving their hands, trying to swat these bees away. And I'm sure people passing by thought we were having a wild, charismatic service, you know. But uh, I think we just about broke the world record for the 10 fastest baptisms. Because we're trying to get them out of the water as fast as we can and get inside the house where where, uh, we wouldn't get stung. But anyway, thank the Lord for these folks who, this is excellent, helping me with the baptisms. Thank the Lord for these folks who followed the Lord in believers' baptism. One of the ministries we have is megaphone preaching. This is an area of Burlington where we've done some outreach. It's a township near the, in, again, in the Durban metro area, a little closer into the city. And uh, when we go and preach, the kids come and sit in the street and listen to us preach. Every, every uh, this is excellent preaching here. Every Sunday morning, we go out at 7 o'clock in the morning. Now, the area we are in is called Valley of a Thousand Hills. Everything's up and down. You know, in science, you learned about gravity, right? Everything that goes up must come down. Where we live, the saying is opposite. Everything that goes down must come up because if you walk downhill, you're going to have to walk back uphill. Everything's hills, up and down. And uh, anyway, we go out and preach with a megaphone. And when you stand on a hill, it, it echoes through the whole area. Now, the interesting thing is you can see the sky's a little bit cloudy there. The sound carries further on a cloudy day. I don't know science behind it, but I think it kind of bounces off the bottom of the clouds. I don't know. But it seems to carry further on a cloudy day. So when I get up on a Sunday morning and it's cloudy, I'm like, yes, praise the Lord. Lord, bring the sun out here in just about an hour's time. That's all right. But thank you for the clouds this morning because more people will hear the gospel today because it's cloudy. So, uh, and, and the funny thing is, we've never had a complaint even from an unbeliever. And their culture is just, you know, we only, we only preach for five or ten minutes uh, in the morning like that. But it's a wonderful opportunity to get the gospel out. One of the challenges we have are protests. And uh, here they're protesting. The government builds free houses for people. What happens? Someone in the area is in charge of who gets on the list for a free house. And so the free house turns into a money-making deal because this guy puts his friends and family on. And then if you want to get on the list, you have to pay him money because he pockets. A little bit like like the tax collectors in the time of Jesus. And uh, and so these people are protesting because outsiders are getting these houses because they paid a little money and they aren't getting houses. So they block the road, and uh, they burn things. Now, the protesters had moved on, but what they'll do, the police will chase them. In fact, that's a policeman on the left side of the picture there. The police will chase them away. They'll go to another area. When the police come there, they go back to the first area. 
And this is the only road in and out of this area called Burlington. So on that particular day, we got there, we just turned around and went home because it's too dangerous to get caught caught up in the violence. We do a bit of uh, street witnessing, house to house, uh, and the Zulu people, though it's hard for them to, uh, to truly accept the gospel, to turn from ancestor worship to Christ, that's quite a challenge, but they're very open to listening to the gospel. And uh, this guy actually, we, he, he says, I want, I want to hear what you have to say. So we were giving out tracts and talking to people. And he says, please, I want to hear what you have to say. So uh, wonderful opportunities we have in getting uh, into homes and talking to people about the Lord. Uh, this is a uh, Sunday school class Karen taught. Uh, you can see it's, uh, the kids are bundled up. It's wintertime there. It'll get as cold as about 38 degrees where we live. And uh, in the daytime, it usually warms up a bit, but it does get chilly. Now, we don't have heat, We don't have central heating in our houses, okay? You just have a little heater, and you heat the area where you're sitting, but basically you wear a, a, a light jacket or a sweater all day long, just how we do it over there. And again, some of the kids that Karen was teaching. Uh, on Palm Sunday last year, because we live in a subtropical area, we have palm trees. So Sunday morning, I went out in my front yard. I cut off some palm branches, and we had a true Palm Sunday service. So the kids really enjoyed that, carrying around the palm branches. This is Karen with some of the kids that uh, she taught at Burlington. You notice she has a sling on her arm. Last year, she had four surgeries for kidney for her kidney. And the one surgery, it, it, it uh, affected her arm. She couldn't use her arm for a while. For about a week, she couldn't use it at all. But that's, that's better now. Uh, but we would appreciate your prayers. Uh, she does have another surgery coming up for her kidney. Um, probably the Hershey, Medi- Hershey Med Center. But uh, appreciate your prayers that that will all uh, go well. This is Karen with Thebo. Uh, she came to our service one day, and uh, she didn't respond immediately at the invitation in the service. When we got up to the street to the car, she came and she said uh, she wanted to talk to us about being saved. And so we stood with her on the street there, and we went through the gospel, and she said she understood. We asked some questions, and uh, she said, I'm going to give my, my heart and life to the Lord. And right there, standing on the street, she prayed to receive Christ as Savior. Now, her problem is she comes from a background of drugs. She's 20 years old. Uh, I was surprised. I thought she looked about 15 or 16, but she said she's 20, and she has a problem with drugs. Now, the difficulty with drugs in our communities there is they're surrounded by drugs. And if you know anything about addictions, you know, one of the keys is you have to get the people out of that environment, you know, whatever the addiction is. So she's, it's, it's a real struggle for her in trying to, to give up drugs, but, uh, you know, if, if the, her, her name by interpretation it's, it, uh, is Rich Hebo. She has that C-click, Thebo, but it means rich. So if the Lord brings rich to your mind, pray that God will just work in her heart and help her and give her strength to overcome that addiction with drugs. Another ministry we have is getting into the public schools. Uh, We get into a lot of the public schools will let us come in and preach. They have an open assembly. They have 10 to 15 minutes at the beginning of the day for announcements, prayer, Bible reading. And so often preachers can come in and preach. And there are 12 different schools I get to on somewhat a regular basis. I get to preach. And it's a wonderful opportunity because most of those children don't go to school, children and youth. I, I say don't go to school, sorry, don't go to church anywhere. So they never hear the gospel. Although they've heard about the Bible, they've heard about Jesus, they don't know what it means to them. So what a wonderful opportunity to get into the schools and uh, be able to preach the gospel to the students. What I do when I go, uh, number one, I keep it short. They, they don't like preachers coming in and taking their class time. And uh, there's only one school won't let me come because preachers before have ruined it. They go in and they'll preach for 30, 40 minutes when they're supposed to take 10. And they're taking up the teacher's class time. As the teachers actually get quite upset and actually hate these preachers. 
I come in, I take about seven to eight minutes. I uh, include the gospel and I, and I include some thought about being a good student. So even the unsaved teachers, they like when I come because I'm encouraging the students to be good students, but I'm also giving them the gospel. And uh, so the students and the teachers get to, to hear the gospel. And uh, I don't really have the opportunity for invitation, but I encourage them to be saved. And one day what happened, one of the fascinating, fascinating things that happened, there's another school here that I get to preach at. This is a, what they call primary school. We call it an elementary school. By the way, the other school had 1,200 students. This school has 850. The smallest school I get to has about 40 students. Anywhere from 40 students to 1,200 students we get to preach to. But uh, a student used to mock me. I didn't know that, but he'd go back to class after opening assembly and he'd make fun of me. And years later, years go by, and I get to a funeral one day, and he was the MC at a funeral. And he stands up and he said, folks, now, Pastor Don probably doesn't remember me because I was just one face out of 1,100 students at that school. But he said, he used to come and preach to us, and I used to mock him. He's telling everybody this. I used to mock him. But he says, even as I was mocking him, God was piercing my heart. And he says, then I, I got out of school, and the Lord brought other people along, and he says, today I'm saved. And he said, I'm not a pastor, but I'm a preacher in my church. And I've accepted the true gospel. And he says, I want to thank Pastor Don because he's the one God first used to work in my heart and bring me to Christ. So what a wonderful opportunity we we have there. Another opportunity, there's a training uh, school. This is a training college for the mines. There's an area where we have a lot of coal mines. And they send their workers for a three-month training program. And uh, this is connected with the Bible Institute I teach at. They have us come in twice a week and preach. Um, this is only about half of the students. There's another room with speakers that, that they, they have. Uh, they can hear everything. But uh, some of them, you know, most of these people aren't saved. And sometimes they aren't too happy about these being preached to because they're forced to stand there and listen. Um, and sometimes they start to sing political songs and, and so on. Most of the time they sing a gospel song. But once in a while, a political song. But when I get up, uh, we have a history in South Africa. Many of you are aware there was the apartheid government where it was the white government did not allow the blacks to vote and controlled the country. And, of course, in 94, they opened that up. Everybody voted. Nelson Mandela became the first black president there. And so there's a little bit of a, some racial tension there. But when I get up as a white man and speak in Zulu, now, it's an English medium school, so most of my preaching is in English. But I get up and I'll greet them in Zulu and say a few things in Zulu. It changes the whole atmosphere. Because they say, Wow. This guy hasn't been interested enough in us to learn our language. And you know, there'd just be so little hate and, 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 and xenophobia and racism in this world. If all we do is just reach across the barrier a little bit, just show a little love and kindness to somebody. It doesn't mean we agree with the sins they're involved in. I'm not saying that. I'm not saying we're soft on sin. We show love and kindness to that person. It's amazing how it breaks down barriers. And language is a great barrier. That's a wonderful opportunity. Now, as we teach people the Bible Institute, on the picture, it's a little hard to see, but way up in the front is, is a guy, one of our students at the Bible College who's preaching, and if you're looking on this side in the front there, so we do the work of the ministry, we also teach others to do the work of the ministry. So what we do at the Bible College, the morning time are classes, afternoons are uh, either outreach or work, we make them do physical work. Every student has to pull weeds, do some painting, do some cleaning or cooking or whatever it is. They have to do something, okay? Um, and then, of course, there's ministry work. They, they, now, we, we do outreach with them. Now, I went to a large Bible college. Our professors didn't go and do stuff with us. They just sent us out and we did it. But here, we get to do it with them. It's a small, small group. 
And uh, so really enjoy the, the ministry working with these. Karen goes along and teaches sewing to the ladies uh, to help give them some good life skills. And uh, it actually helps them to be a witness to, to people through these life skills that they have. Last year, I taught a course on cults, and uh, so we took the students to a Buddhist temple. Not far from the Bible Institute is a Buddhist temple. And we went to the Buddhist temple, and a lady gave us a tour. A Buddhist lady gave us a tour. And of course, one of the big things Buddhists are looking for is enlightenment. They want light, you know, spiritual light. And we got to explain to this lady, Jesus is the light of the world. You know, there's opportunities as you talk to people. I hope that you realize that a lot of witnessing is, is like even us. Okay, I, I do a lot of very confrontational, preach with a megaphone, go on the street, talk to people. But a lot of witnessing is just life situations. As you go through life, you bring the Lord into the conversation and let people know Jesus is the light of the world, you know? Of course, she didn't get saved that day, but who knows what God will do? I mean, we actually use the verse. We quoted her from the Bible uh, where Jesus said, I'm the light of the world. So a wonderful opportunity even in, in uh, examining the cults. One of our graduates from the Bible Institute, uh, his name is Donkey, and he has a church here. This is where his church meets. And uh, they're trying to meet in the shade of the tree. Uh, it's the wintertime there, but um, this is where they meet. They actually own the property, and they don't have a building yet. They're hoping one day to get a building, but this is the beginning of a church. So we're thankful for uh, his work for the Lord. Uh, these are two graduates of our Bible Institute. They're both assistant pastors in two different churches. They're being trained to take over as the pastor of the church. But what they do on Monday morning, they have a ministry they do together. They go to the local police station. Local police station has about 100 cells to hold people till they can go to the magistrate and then go to the regular prison. And every Monday morning, they go down and preach to all the prisoners they've collected over the weekend. Okay, so about 8 o'clock in the morning, they go down there. And they took me along this one week when I was there, and they had about 20 men. There were a few women, but they don't mix them, so we didn't get to the women's side of the prison. Um, they said there were about four or five ladies that, that uh, Monday. There's about 20 men they had caught over the weekend, and we got to preach the gospel to them. I just didn't have the freedom to take a picture of the prisoners uh, in, in the cell we were locked in with, okay? <laughs> but uh, wonderful to see these guys, you know, serving the Lord. And it's really what it's about. Uh, it's not, yes, we do the work. Yes, we reach souls. But if that's all we do, when I die, the ministry's done. The key is we've got to train others to do the work of the ministry. So, uh, it's my last picture, but just we thank the Lord for uh, the opportunity to train others up and see them go and do the work of the ministry. All right. Let me just take a few questions before uh, I open the word. Any, any questions anybody has? Okay, question is, what, uh, what's the community like as far as income education? Uh, the tribal area we work in would be mostly uh, people that would be considered under the poverty level. Um, some have jobs, they work in a store, or they're a maid or a gardener, but most of them have low-paying jobs. Um, in the tribal areas, the majority of people have electric in their houses, but not any indoor plumbing. So they, there's an outhouse. Education-wise, I would say about, um, let's say, those in our church at the moment, we probably only have about 10% that have actually graduated from high school. Um, See, one of the difficulties we have, what they do in, in primary school, or what we would call elementary, they're taught in their mother tongue, and they learn English as a subject. When they get to high school, it flips. English, they're taught in English, and their mother tongue becomes a subject. Now, the problem with that is, and the reason they do that is because if you're really going to get a decent job, 
you've got to know English because the business language of South Africa is, is English. So they need, they need English if they're really going to get a decent job. But the problem is if they don't get a grasp on English, they just aren't going aren't to make it in high school. So, you know, you sit down to take a test. Let's say you get to seventh grade. That's where high school starts. They, they get to seventh grade and they get to sit down and take their first test. And they don't really have a clue what this, even what the question is. So obviously, how are you going to answer something if you don't even know what the question is? You don't understand the question. So there's a very high dropout rate. I don't know what it is now, but at one point, they said it was a 50% between 7th grade and 12th grade. It was a 50% dropout rate. Then of those who go, who, who, who finish 12th grade, um, there's about, uh, you pass at 40%. That's passing, 40%. Okay. Uh, even there, so they're running about 60-some percent of 12th graders who pass at 40%. Then to get to university, you have to have a little better uh, average, and there it drops down now to about, uh, I don't know the actual percentage, but it's probably maybe 15% that actually can go into university from there. So they really struggle with their education system. It's very, very, uh, you know, if people can afford it, they send their children to private schools. Um, because they're much better. But the, the public schools really, a lot of them don't, don't do a very good job. So it's very difficult. So our, our services are in Zulu. Um, there are a few people who speak fairly good English. I'd say in our church, there's about, um, like Peace, that guy said about Peace, who's the builder there, who got saved. His English is pretty, pretty good. You know, I, I can even do Bible studies with him in English. Um, but there are probably three people in our church know English enough that you can sit down and do a Bible study in English with them. The rest would have to be in Zulu. Now, the difficulty with that is we don't have a lot of material in Zulu. So I've, I've done a little bit, but they're mostly like Bible studies that I've gotten help. Because even though I, I speak Zulu, even if I translate something to make sure it's proper, I always have Zulus check it. So sometimes I'll write it out and someone will check it. But um, we just don't have a lot of good material. And because English is the main medium of instruction, the best thing to do if someone doesn't know, if you really want to train them for the ministry, is teach them English so they have all the resources available. That doesn't work in every country in every setting, but in our setting, that's really the... Because in our setting, if someone, because of their education system, someone can't learn English, they probably aren't going to be a good student anyway. Yeah, so... Anything else? How are you accepted? White guy in that culture in America. How am I accepted as as a as a white man? Um, it varies. Um, if people know me, once I'm in a community and I'm known, generally I'm accepted very well. Um, sometimes I'll get to places where you know, I get to quite a few funerals. And I say get to a funeral, and I can see sometimes just the way people look at you. You know, you, you can see they're looking like, you know, what's this white guy doing here? And usually I'm the only white guy there. You know, if Karen goes along with the only whites at, at you know, at an African setting in a tribal area, so they're, they're, they're you know, they'll kind of look at us. The minute I get up and start speaking in Zulu, it, 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 again, you can just you can actually see it on their their looks on their faces. Um, when I go to a school, the first time I go to a school, if I go to a new school to preach where I haven't preached before, they naturally expect I'm going to preach in English. And so uh, I get up and I greet them in Zulu, and they kind of chuckle a little bit. 
And then they think, okay, he, he can greet in Zulu, but they think that's it. Then I, keep, I start preaching in Zulu, and they just break out laughing. Because even though a few white people speak Zulu, they never heard a white man preach in Zulu. And, they, they, and so the teachers then are trying to go, shh, quiet, quiet, quiet. And I say, let them laugh. Just let get it out of their systems. You know how it is when you want to laugh and you can't, like, you ever have something funny in church, you know, during the message, and you're trying to not laugh, and you, you just can't, if you could just laugh and get out of your system, it'd be okay. But, you know, half the service you're trying to, that's how they are. You know, I said, just let them laugh. Get it out of their system. And it, it, it's, but they're laughing out of appreciation. It, but it just sounds so funny to them because they never heard a white man preach in Zulu. And it just really breaks down barriers. You know, here and there, there are people that hate me. But the thing I learned is, when people hate you, what did Jesus say? Love your enemies. Don't, don't be unkind and cruel to them because they have been to you. There was one guy, we, the first tribal area we worked in, in Embo, um, where our, uh, the one Zulu pastor has the church now. But there was a man there, he wouldn't even greet me. He wouldn't look, I, I was invisible to him. I could go on a little, little dirt path where you actually had to swing your shoulder to get past the guy. You know, I'd say, uh, Salbona Baba, which is hello, Father. Baba is the word for Father. Hello, Father. And he, wouldn't, he just walked past me. He wouldn't look at me. He wouldn't say anything. This went on for about two years. Maybe three years, two to three years. One day, as I passed, every time I saw him, just, I greet him, I'd smile. Hello, Father. And uh, one day, as I passed, I saw his mouth move. I didn't hear anything, but I saw his mouth move. We're getting somewhere. The next time, I actually heard him say hello. The next time, we did a full greeting. Because over there, it's, it's, the culture is, whether you're with whites or blacks, though the whites have a British type of culture, everything's all about this politeness. It's all surface, but hello, how are you? Fine, thanks, how are you? It doesn't mean anything. You're always fine. If you want to know how someone is, you ask a second time. And people often do. You're hi, how are you? Oh, fine, thanks, how are you? Oh, tell me, how are you really? And then they get into business, okay? But uh, they, you know, just, so anyway, we had a full greeting. Now this is about three to four years after I've been there. And so now we can greet. So we greet, you know, and then one day we chat a little bit. Not about the gospel at this point, just about whatever. Something happened in the community, you chat a little bit. You know, it took me seven years until I could sit down and give him the gospel. Now, what if I'd have, in the beginning, because the way he treated me, what if I'd have treated him the same way he treated me? I'd have never been able to give him the gospel. And you know what he said to me one day? He went to church that didn't preach, doesn't preach the gospel. One day he said to me, Pastor, I know the church I go to doesn't follow the truth. I know yours does. Maybe one day I'll become a part of your church. Now, he hasn't yet, but who knows? So, there's hatred out there. There's all kinds. Of, you don't have to hate people back because they hate you. Jesus said, marvel not my brethren if the world hates you. Okay? You shouldn't be surprised at that. But you just show love and kindness. So the thing is, for the most part, they treat us very well. We, when we go to a wedding or a funeral, they treat us like a, like a king and a queen. They're actually thrilled that we'd be interested enough in them to come. And over there, you don't have to be invited to a wedding. It's open. Just anybody can come, you know, like here you always have this, you know, please respond and all that. Over there, you just show up. And they, the, the people who cook are always a little nervous, you know. <laughs> do, we, do we cook enough, you know? <laughs> always have an extra couple bags of rice sitting there, you know. <laughs> okay, anything else? Uh, what's, the, what's the religious makeup um, among the Zulu people? Uh, the religious makeup is predominantly ancestor worship. 
The idea is that when someone dies, their spirit joins the spirit world, and that they're closer to God. So they're the mediators between us and God. And they believe everything that happens, happens because of the ancestors. So if, if things are going well in life, the ancestors are happy. Any problem means the ancestors are angry. They don't have this direct cause and effect, like you, know, you reap what you sow. So I went to work and I stole something and I lost my job. Therefore, I lost my job because I stole something. No, I lost my job because the ancestors are angry. This is where the witch doctor comes in. You go to the witch doctor, the witch doctor contacts the spirit world to find out why are the ancestors angry. And so uh, then they'll give you advice. Do this and this and this. Of course, you pay the witch doctor about what you would pay to go to a regular medical doctor. Unless they're really famous. If they're famous, you'll pay a month's wages to, to, to see them. Okay. But uh, you, 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 they, 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 they go to the witch doctor and witch doctor. And then usually there's involved, often involved a sacrifice. Either if it's something very simple, it'll be a, a chicken. Uh, if it's a little more serious, a goat. Uh, on rare occasion, a cow. Now, a cow is usually killed at a funeral if the father of the family dies. If it's someone else in the family, you usually kill a goat. But that's offered to the ancestors. Uh, and so this is where meat offered to idols comes into the Zulus because although it's not a physical idol, it's a spiritual idol. And, and a true, a strong born-again Christian will not eat that meat that's been offered to ancestors. Um, so it's very hard because they believe everything in life that happens. And here's the thing. Let's say somebody gets saved. And uh, his cousin, who lives 100 miles away, steals something at work and loses his job. You know what his reason will be? The ancestors are angry because my cousin got born again, and he no longer follows the ancestors, and now they're angry, and that's why I lost my job. So the Christian now gets blamed on all the problems. I'm talking not just close relatives, all your cousins, everybody out there. They all blame you because you stopped following the ancestors. So there isn't a lot of physical persecution where like, they kill people, that kind of thing. But there's a lot of social pressure on a, on a Christian uh, when they leave. That's one of the reasons it's so hard for them to leave ancestor worship because there's so much social pressure to, to do that. So that's our biggest battle as far as winning people to the Lord. Um, now, what most of the churches there do is they blend Christianity and ancestor worship. They say, no, it's okay. You can still follow the ancestors. Come, when you come to church, we pray to Jesus. Go home and pray to the ancestors. Very much like the Roman Catholic Church does, because they they pray to the, the they call them saints, but they're praying to dead, you know, people they've picked. Okay, so they said we go to church, we pray to Jesus and to Mary and to the dead saints, and we go home, we pray to the ancestors, and really it's all the same thing. Uh, and and of course the Roman Catholic priests don't care as long as they come to the church, they don't care that they pray to the ancestors. Uh, and so, uh, but there, we have a lot of churches there that just blend this, and they say oh, it's okay, go home and. Pray the ancestors, you know, we accept the Bible plus the ancestors. So that's one of the biggest battles that, that we have in dealing with beliefs. Okay. Very good. Tell you what, if, if you have any more, okay, one more. I see your hand going up, and then uh, we'll look at the scriptures. <clears throat> if, you have, if others have questions, you can ask us out at the table. Uh, I just have a question. Um, I noticed of youth. Do you guys have any type of youth program or youth um, outreach that you do? Um, for youth, we, we will do uh, some meetings. We tend to get more children than youth at the moment. And so um, we, I have a weekly uh, class with, it's mostly 10 to 14, 15-year-olds at the moment, that age range. Um, 
and so we have a weekly time where we, we start with either a game or a life skill. And the life skill can be a, something as simple as driving a nail. Most of them don't know how to. They don't grow up with round tools. Driving a nail on a piece of wood, screwing a screw in, something simple, you know. Sometimes at the house where we meet, uh, a doorknob fell off. And we need to fix it. Okay, kids, show them this is how you. And, and they, they each do something. I don't just show them, but they actually have to physically turn the screw in or something like that. Uh, so we teach them. Like, so then we have a Bible lesson as well. Um, so uh, that's mainly what we're doing with that. Plus, of course, we have teaching times at church, but uh, mostly it's our Saturday outreach. Thank you. Okay, let's take our Bibles tonight, and uh, you do have some notes there. Let's turn to Genesis chapter 12. I'm going to talk here about the call of God, and we're going to learn some lessons here from the life of Abraham. Genesis chapter 12. The, uh, the one Zulu pastor we trained, who has the church there at Embo, that first, one of the first pictures you saw there in the pictures tonight, his mother lives way out in a rural area. She just got electric two years ago. Until then, she had no electric. She has no water at her house. She's going down to a stream, and uh, it's probably about half a mile walk for her. She puts the, uh, the water in a bucket, puts the bucket on her head, and carries it home. And uh, that's what she's done all of her life. She's used to that. And so anyway, we went out to visit her. And uh, we get to the house and she's not there. And he says, my mom's always home. It was very rare she goes away somewhere. She's 80 years old. And where does she have to go? And so we, we said, well, maybe she's out in the field somewhere. She's a hard worker. So I said, okay, I'll, I'll go down by the stream you go up on the hill. So we go around and we're calling go, go. That's the word for granny and, and Zoo. Go, 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 go. We're walking around and, and calling and calling, and there's no answer. Finally, we meet back at the house, and he said, I don't know. And eventually, she, she came. Uh, she had been at the one government office, something relating to her, her government, uh, we call it uh, Social Security here, but a government pension. And uh, the reason she didn't answer is she was too far away. She couldn't hear us calling. Do you know that God calls us in the Bible to do certain things? But some people are so spiritually far from God, they don't hear his call. So it's important that we are close to God so we can hear when he calls. I want to see us to see in Genesis 12, 1 tonight, the call to serve God. And there's, if you're filling in the blanks there, you can fill that in. The call to serve God. What I want to actually do, we've been sitting a while, I'm going to see a stand. I'm going to read a few verses here. And uh, you follow along while I read. Please remain standing for a brief word of prayer, and then you may be seated. Genesis chapter 12. I'm just going to read verses 1 and 2. Now the Lord had said unto Abram, Get thee out of thy country, and from thy kindred, and from thy father's house, unto a land that I will show thee. And I will make of thee a great nation, and I will bless thee, and make thy name great, and thou shalt be a blessing. Let me read verse 3. And I will bless them that bless thee, and curse him that curseth thee, and in thee shall all families of the earth be blessed. Let's pray. Thank you, Father, for your truth. Encourage us, strengthen us, if need be, rebuke us. I pray tonight you draw us closer to yourself. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. Please be seated. So God called Abram, and uh, this, of course, was God came physically and spoke to him. 
We don't look to that kind of call today, but today God calls us to serve Him. Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 10 says, For we are His workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. That's a call. We are called to serve God. If you know Jesus Christ as your Savior, He has called you to serve Him. You have a ministry. Now, your ministry is going to be different from my ministry. Now, we know some things God has called all of us to do. He's called us to live a holy life. He's called us to peace. There are various things in a general sense that God has called us to. But there are also specific things. He, he gives us abilities and talents in a way to serve Him, and He calls us to serve Him. Now, I don't want you to get this confused with salvation. First, you have to be saved, or as Ephesians 2.10 says, be in Christ Jesus. If you're in Christ Jesus, it means you're cleansed from sin, you're saved, and then he ordains you to do good works. Some people kind of get these verses confused. If you read the previous two verses, verses 8 and 9, For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. But there's so many religious people and churches They get salvation and good works confused. Good works follow salvation, but they're not part of it. You see, all the good you do cannot take away your sin. I have an illustration here tonight. I have a carpet up here. Now, if this carpet is like your good works, it's all the good. Any dirt or things around would be like our sin. Let's say one day at your house, now the Zulus, they, they, very few of them have vacuum sweepers, at least in the tribal areas. And so they use a broom for everything. Usually it's a little bigger than this, but for our illustration tonight, it's just easy to carry a small broom around. But a lot of them, they sweep their, even the rugs in the house, they sweep with a broom. Now imagine the Zulu person, they're sitting at home and things have gotten a little dirty and all of a sudden the chief pulls up. He's going to come visit their house unannounced. And they want, to, they want their house to look nice for him. So quickly, they take the broom and they lift the rug and they sweep all the dirt under there. And I was using this illustration one day in a Zulu person's house and I lifted their rug up. And guess what? <laughs> all the dirt was under the rug. And they just, the lady got this kind of sheepish grin like you caught me. <laughs> but you sweep it under there. Okay, now it's hidden. The chief comes in. He says, oh, a nice clean house. Now, he, he doesn't see the dirt. But guess what? All the dirt is still there. You've covered it over, but it's still there. Now, when people try to take their good works, they hide their sin, but it's still there. They haven't removed it. The sin is still there. What we need is for Jesus Christ, who died for us, to remove our sin. Now, when you get saved, you enter God's family, and he calls you to serve him. The question is, have you asked God what he wants you to do? Or are you just going through life? You're just busy doing with your life what you want to do with your life. Let me say this to the children. Children, you're not too young to serve God. I grew up in a Christian home, in a good church, going to Christian school. I look back and I realize, you know, there were other children that needed ministered to. I didn't always minister to them like I should have. But there were children. Sometimes others ministered to me. 
Young people. They're the young people that you can be a, have a ministry to. I know the pressure of wanting to fit in and do everything the others do, but, but there, there are other young people. Sometimes for children and young people, it's your parents, even some adults you can be ministering to because they're not always everything they should be for the Lord. God has a ministry for you. Us adults, God has a ministry. It's going to be a little different for each one of us, but God has called us to serve Him. Sometimes people are afraid. You know the, the, the number one thing they're usually afraid of? God might send me to Africa. <laughs> and that's where I am. You know, the, the amazing thing about it is when God calls you and you answer his call, he gives you peace about it. And he gives you a lot, so many wonderful opportunities and wonderful things in life. He's not going to make you do something you hate. He's going to give you the ability to do it. Don't be afraid to surrender to God. The fact is, if you're afraid to surrender to God, you will never know true peace. You will never know a complete peace if you are not willing to surrender to God and say, God, here's my life. I want to serve you. Speak to my heart. Show me what you want me, how you want me to serve you. I'm not saying everybody here is going to quit your job and go off as a full-time missionary. He might call some of you, whether you're young or whether you're older. He might call some of you to do that. Most of you, you'll continue, you'll have a secular job, whatever you do, but there's a way God's going to use you to serve him. So be sure to answer the call of God. Excellent, who helps us in the ministry. The one semester we went off, his first semester we went off to Bible college. He had to leave his house sitting empty. Now in South Africa, that's not a good idea. You leave your house sitting empty, we have a lot of house break-ins, a lot of thieves, and you're just inviting the thieves to break in and take everything. So he assumed when he came back to his empty house, it was going to really be empty. He figured nothing would be left. His fridge would be gone, his bed would be gone, his sheets, his rugs. I, just, I mean, they would have stripped the house out. So I was with him when he comes back. He unlocks the door, and the door wasn't broken. That, that was the first amazing. He's, he's, look at this. The door isn't broken, and the windows aren't broken. But he figures somehow they must have you know, gotten in and, and locked the door. And he comes in, and he stands there. And he just looks around. He had two rooms. He had kind of a kitchen area and then a bedroom. And he walks into the bedroom. He goes, I can't believe this. This is just amazing. I said, what's amazing? I, I was pretty sure what he was talking about. He says, everything's here. He says, I can't believe it. You know, he was just, he felt so blessed. He went off to serve God. And God protected him in a way that was very rare and unusual. Then it was a miracle. How God helped him because he was willing to serve God. Number two, I want us to see in verse 2 of Genesis 12, the work of serving God. First the call to serve God, then the work of serving God. He says here in verse 2, I will make of thee a great nation, and I will bless thee, and make thy name great, and thou shalt be a blessing. Our work is to be a blessing to other people. Whatever God has called you to do, we are to be a blessing to others. Listen, folks, life isn't about you. Now, yes, you have things in life you need to do. You need to take care of for your own life. Yes. But the goal of life isn't just to, to focus on yourself. God left you here. If God's only desire in saving you was to take you to heaven, guess what would happen the moment you got saved? Poof. There'd be this little rapture. You go straight to heaven. But God left you here. What? To be a blessing to other people. 
That means you see you have a ministry, you're reaching out, you're trying to draw people closer to the Lord. I want to encourage you to be a person who does good to other people. Sometimes doing good will challenge others to think about the things of the Lord. We need to warn people. We need to talk to them about the Lord. You know, letting people harm themselves isn't blessing them. There's a highway that passes our town. It's a four-lane highway. One day, a sinkhole developed under the road. And nobody knew it until a car came along and fell into the hole. They survived, but they didn't survive the next car coming and falling on top of them. The third car coming saw what had happened up ahead, and so he stopped, got out of his car, and guess what he did? He ran back to warn the other cars. What if that guy would have just sat in his car and said, well, it's not my problem. If they don't see it, that's their problem. You see, how, how uncaring and cruel and unkind could somebody be? Of course he got out of his car and went back and warned the other people. Now, whether they stopped or not was their business, but he warned them. Spiritually, it's no different. Why do we talk to others about the Lord? We can't force them to trust Christ as Savior. But we want them to know there is forgiveness and salvation in Jesus Christ. So, the work of serving God, we're trying to be a blessing to other people, a true blessing. And sometimes that means we challenge people about their ideas and values in life. Number three is the aim of serving God. In verse 3, Genesis 12, 3, the aim of serving God. And I will bless them that bless thee, and curse him that curseth thee, and in thee shall all families of the earth be blessed. This is one reason that we as Christians love Israel and the Jewish people. Not because they're perfect, not because they're everything God wants them to be at this point, but God has chosen to bring His blessing and His salvation to the world through the Jewish people. So think about this. How were all families of the earth blessed by Abraham? We're given the answer in Galatians chapter 4, verses 4 and 5. Galatians 4, 4 and 5 say this. But when the fullness of the time was come, God sent forth His Son, made of a woman, made under the law. That's referring to the Mosaic law that came from the Jewish people who descended from Abraham. But when the fullness of the time was come, God sent forth his son, made of a woman, made under the law, to redeem them that were under the law, that we might receive the adoption of sons. He talks here about redemption. How's everybody blessed? The redemption that Jesus Christ brought from the lineage of Abraham. The question is, are you redeemed? To be redeemed means you're saved from sin. You're cleansed from sin. In John chapter 1, verse 29, where John the Baptist saw Jesus coming, he says, Behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. One of the challenges we have in Christianity today is this misunderstanding of and we face this in South Africa, and I mentioned in the question-answer time of people who want to blend together Christianity and ancestor worship, it kind of be like this. Suppose I came to you with a credit card. I said, you know, I've got 10,000 bucks on this thing. I'm going to give you a PIN number, and you go to the ATM, you can use this. But before I give it to you, I'm going to cut this thing in half, and you get half and I get half. And you say, wait a minute, whoa, 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 what kind of a scam is this? I mean, I can't use half, half a, 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 
a, a card, you know, an AT, a debit card at an ATM or a bank. It's pointless. You know, it's exactly what some people do with their life. They come to God with some kind of a plea bargain. Well, God, you know, I know I need to be saved. I'm a sinner. I know I need forgiveness. I, need I know Jesus died for me and rose again. And God, I, I, I want to go to heaven, but I, you know, what I want to do is here, I'm going to give you part of my life. I'm going to keep part of my life. I want you to take some of my sin, but I, I don't really want you to take away my sin. You've got to leave a few things there. That's not salvation. That's not belief. That's hypocrisy. It's people playing games with God. And I would ask you to examine your own life. Did you ever come to God with a full heart of belief and say, God, I'm a sinner. And you knew, I, I know Jesus died. Take my sin and give me the righteousness of Jesus Christ. You see, none of us here tonight are good enough to go to heaven because good people don't go to heaven. And this is something that most people in the world don't understand. Good people do not go to heaven. Only perfect people go to heaven. Heaven is perfect. And God is holy. And if you want to go to heaven, you have to be perfect. And something you know about yourself, and something you know about me, I'm not perfect. And that's why we need a perfect Savior. He, come, he comes into what? He takes away our sin and gives us His righteousness. Then we can go to heaven. Let me just say this. If you've never received Christ as Savior, come to Him and say, God, I need your salvation and forgiveness. Don't play games with this thing. There's only one way to go to heaven. That's through the forgiveness of Jesus Christ. There's no other way. I know sometimes people have doubts. Maybe they made a profession when they were young. By the way, I do believe children can be saved. I've, I've known very young children that got saved. And they were truly saved. But I know sometimes people, they, they made a profession when they were young. And later in life, they, kind of, they, they, they get doubts about it. Was I sincere? Did I really understand? Did I believe? Let me just say this to you. You can only get born again one time. You're not going to get born again again. All right? But make sure you've been born again. If you have doubts, come to God and say, God... I'm just not sure. I know I'm not going to get saved again, but God, if I wasn't really saved, I'm coming to you now telling you I do truly trust Christ as my Savior. I believe with all my heart. I know Christ died for me. Take my sin and give me your righteousness. God, I'm just, I know I can't get saved twice, but I want to make sure I'm saved. Here's my life. Don't be too proud to be honest with God. You might say, well, I'm a Sunday school teacher. I'm a deacon. I'm a, I'm a teacher. I'm, don't worry about that. I'm not suggesting you're going to get saved twice. No, we only get saved once. Just like you entered your earthly family one time. You enter God's heavenly family one time. But make sure you've truly entered there. And if you have any doubts, just come to God and say, God, I've had doubts about this. I want to settle it with you. Actually, I do that myself in Bible college. I was a little proud at first. Oh, Bible college student. How can I, you know. But I look back and I was saved when I was younger. But I just had to settle it with God. Make sure you're saved. Had a, had a man there in South Africa. <clears throat> Met him in the community and talked to him about the Lord. And he says, no, I'm, I'm saved. He said, uh, he didn't go to church anywhere because he worked a security job and they worked 12-hour shifts. And he worked night shift. And so he, he'd six to six and he'd go home and sleep when you go to church. So uh, I talked to him. He said, no, when I was young, I, I prayed to receive Christ as Savior. But I can't go to church because of my job. I said, okay, but... Uh, if you ever get off, we'd love to have you come. Okay. Well, one day God broke his leg. 
And uh, he was off work for six weeks. So I went to him and I said, uh, you're, not, you're off work now, you can come to church. I said, you know, I think God broke your leg to get you to church. <laughs> he says, really? I said, think about it, you know. So he did. He shows up at church and he comes, when he comes in, he says, just came to see what you do here today. Okay. I said, thank you for coming. He sat down. End of the service, he says, now I saw it. Off he went. Okay, that's it. Never see this guy again. He came back the next week. And I was preaching on a real belief. And then the service came to me and says, Pastor Don, I need to get saved. I said, I thought you told me you got saved as a child. He says, you know, I see now I didn't really believe. I want, I, I, I want to come to Christ because I, I really believe now. And he prayed to receive Christ as Savior. What a wonderful thing. If you've never done that, make sure you know Christ as Savior. Number four in verse four, the obedience in serving God. The obedience in serving God. So Abraham departed as the Lord had spoken unto him, and Lot went with him. And Abraham was 70 and five years old when he departed out of Haran. Abraham obeyed. Now, folks, God calls us to obey him. If you try to do it in your own strength, you're going to live a frustrated Christian life. You need to come to God and say, God, I need your help to do this. It's not always easy to serve God. When you come to him and ask for his help, he gives you strength to do it. And then you realize it's not really me doing the work, it's God doing the work through me. And the goal of our life is not that people praise us, but that they see the Lord is working in us. James 4, 8 says, draw nigh to God and he will draw nigh to you. I had a guy I was discipling and I discipled him for about a period of about eight years. And he actually, he, I thought maybe one day he'd be a pastor. He was starting to, we did an outreach in a certain area. He suggested the area. We started doing outreach. Some people were interested and uh, we decided to start a Bible study. So I said to him, I'll tell you what. You know, I've been sitting down going through discipleship material with you. I want you to take that and you teach these people. I went with him. But he took the material and he was teaching. And man, it was just, it was amazing to watch him growing. And uh, one day I went to get him and he wasn't there. I would pick him up on the way over to the other place and tried to phone him. He didn't answer. So I went and I taught the Bible study and I sent him a text message. He never answered. This is strange. He's never done this before. Next week, I went to get him. He wasn't there. And uh, tried to phone him. He wouldn't answer his phone. Sent him a text message. Didn't answer. But this is something's going on. What is going on? So during the week, I thought, you know, I'm going to have to hunt this guy down. He was moving houses. He was moving out of his house. He had built, he had built another house. And uh, so I'm, gonna, I'm just going to go try to see him. Because I tried to phone him. He wouldn't answer. So I, I showed up at his house. And uh, knocked on the door. Nobody's there. But a window was open. So I'm going to climb in here and see. Fortunately, the neighbors all knew me. Okay? So uh, I'd prayed with this neighbor, and I witnessed to that neighbor, and prayed with this neighbor. And so anyway, I climb in the window. Now, if you ever do this, don't act like you're guilty. Don't like do in the movies. You, you look around, and, you know, does anybody watch? If you're going to do this, just climb in the window. Okay? So I just pretend that I belong there. You know, like he sent me to get some. I climb in the window. And sure enough, all his furniture's gone. And I walk through the house. And I get to the back room, and my heart just sank. There hanging on the wall 
were the church clothes his mother used to use when she went to the church that blends Christianity with ancestor worship. Below it was a candle that was burnt down about to about one-third, which is one of the things they do to worship the ancestors. On the wall next to it was a goat bladder, showing he had actually sacrificed the goat to the ancestors. And the bladder is one of the things for good luck that they'll pin sometimes on their clothes. And so pinned there was the goat bladder. And I thought, ah, so sad. So I'll go to his other house and see if he's over there. On the way, I see him standing by the road. So I pull over, and he comes to the car. And the first thing I notice, what they do to show they've honored ancestors, they take a strip of the goat skin, they make a bracelet. And here's a bracelet with a fresh goat here standing up. He gets in the car, and I said, how are you doing? He said, I'm doing fine. I said, are you doing fine by the power of the ancestors? Uh, I said, Pastor Don, I just had to try it. I've tried so many things, and I've been struggling. And I said to him, it's not going to end well. You know you're running from God. He texted me about two weeks later and said, Pastor, I've made a terrible mistake. Please pray for me. I need the Lord's help and strength. See, he lost the peace of God because he wanted to go back to doing things his way. They just say, encourage you to obey God. Do what God has called you to do. Are you holding something back from God? Come to God and just say, God, I'm struggling with this. I need your help. Please, God, help me. I want to encourage you. If it's foreign missions that God's calling to, calling you to, don't hold back. Just say, God, show me where you want me. Show me what you want me to do, and then do it. Let's pray. Thank you, Father, for your goodness. Thank you for the call. Thank you for saving us. And Lord, maybe tonight here someone is struggling with something. I pray they'll come to you, they'll be honest with you, and they'll ask for your help. In Jesus' name, amen.